0: And clicking on support. Thank you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? Quiet stories and meditations to help you find a little peace at bedtime or any time. We had a beautiful snowfall here on the mountain last week. Not much of it stuck, but I took a video of it and put it up on my YouTube channel if you want to Watch the snow falling by in the cabin for half an hour. It's a lovely little bit of winter ambiance, and we've got more snow in the forecast this week. But right now, it's perfectly warm and sunny. It's really fun to have such crazy weather—20 degrees at night sometimes, and then 60 during the day. Sometimes it's spring. Sometimes it's still the middle of winter. When it's really raining hard, the creek starts to get very loud. And then when it calms down, the sound gets a lot quieter and more gentle. At the end of summer, you can hardly hear it at all. If you want to hear the difference between the summer creek and the winter creek, you'll get a recording of each of them, When you sign up for my free newsletter on the website at listen to sleep.com, you'll also get a sleepy audiobook download and an email from me every month to help you find more peace. I want to thank Holly, Davey Brendan, Allison, Bethany, Manny, and John for supporting Listen to Sleep by subscribing to the ad-free version of the podcast this week. Your support is what allows me to be your bedtime storyteller and meditation guide, and I really appreciate it. When you support the podcast for $5 a month, you'll get every episode without any ads a day earlier, along with an extra subscriber-only episode every single week. That's three episodes a week. You can join on the website at listentosleep.com or by clicking the link in the show notes. This week, I've got some more Stoic Roman wisdom for you from the letters of Seneca to his friend Lucilius. Okay, let's take a deep breath. In and out. Just letting go of the day, feeling the weight of gravity pulling you deep down into the mattress. And another deep breath in and out. Nothing to do, nowhere to go, no one to be. This is your time, quiet time. And one more deep breath in with me. And out. If you get tired while I'm reading to you, that's okay. Just let yourself drift off. Unworldliness and Retirement I leap for joy whenever I receive letters from you, for they fill me with hope. They are now not mere assurances concerning you, but guarantees, and I beg and pray you to proceed in this course, for what better request could I make of a friend than one which is to be made for its own sake? If possible, withdraw yourself from all the business of which you speak, and if you cannot do this, tear yourself away. We have dissipated enough our time already. Let us in old age begin to pack up our baggage. Surely there is nothing in this that men can begrudge us. We have spent our lives on the high seas. Let us die in the harbor. Not that I would advise you to try to win fame by your retirement, one's retirement should neither be paraded nor concealed. Not concealed, I say, for I shall not go so far in urging you as to expect you to condemn all men as mad and then seek out for yourself a hiding place and oblivion. Rather, make this your business, that your retirement be not conspicuous, though it should be obvious. In the second place, while those whose choice is unhampered from the start will deliberate on that other question, whether they wish to pass their lives in obscurity, in your case, there is not a free choice. Your ability and energy have thrust you into the work of the world. So have the charm of your writings and the friendships you have made with famous and notable men. Renown has already taken you by storm. You may sink yourself into the depths of obscurity and utterly hide yourself. Yet, your earlier acts will reveal you. You cannot keep lurking in the dark. Much of the old gleam will follow you wherever you fly. Peace you can claim for yourself without being disliked by anyone. Without any sense of loss, and without any pangs of spirit. For what will you leave behind you that you can imagine yourself reluctant to leave? Your clients? But none of these men courts you for yourself. They merely court you for something from you. People used to hunt friends, but now they hunt pelf. If a lonely old man changes his will, the morning caller transfers himself to another door. Great things cannot be bought for small sums, so reckon up whether it is preferable to leave your own true self or merely some of your belongings. Would that you had had the privilege of growing old amid the limited circumstances of your origin, and that fortune had not raised you to such heights. You were removed far from the sight of wholesome living by your swift rise to prosperity, by your province, by your position as procurator and by all that such things promise. You will next acquire more important duties, and after them still more. And what will be the result? Why wait until there is nothing left for you to crave? That time will never come. We hold that there is a succession of causes from which fate is woven. Similarly, you may be sure, there is a succession in our desires, for one begins where its predecessor ends. You have been thrust into an existence which will never of itself put an end to your wretchedness and your slavery withdraw your chafed neck from the yoke. It is better that it should be cut off once and for all than galled forever. If you retreat to privacy, everything will be on the smaller side, but you will be satisfied abundantly. In your present condition, however, there is no satisfaction in the plenty which is heaped upon you on all sides. Would you rather be poor and sated, or rich and hungry? Prosperity is not only greedy, but it also lies exposed to the greed of others. And as long as nothing satisfies you, you yourself cannot satisfy others. But, you say, how can I take my leave? Any way you please. Reflect how many hazards you have ventured for the sake of money, and how much toil you have undertaken for a title. You must gain something to gain leisure also or else grow old amid the worries of procuratorships abroad and subsequently of civil duties at home, living in turmoil and in ever-fresh floods of responsibilities, which no man has ever succeeded in avoiding by unobtrusiveness or by seclusion of life. For what bearing on the case has your personal desire for a secluded life? Your position in the world desires the opposite. What if, even now, you allow that position to grow greater? But all that is added to your successes will be added to your fears. At this point, I should like to quote a saying of Macenus, who spoke the truth when he stood on the very summit. There's thunder even on the loftiest peaks. If you ask me in what book these words are found, they occur in the volume entitled Prometheus. He simply meant to say that these lofty peaks have their tops surrounded with thunderstorms. But is any power worth so high a price that a man like you would ever, in order to obtain it, adopt a style so debauched as that? Macenus was indeed a man of parts, who would have left a great pattern for Roman oratory to follow, had his good fortune not made him effeminate. Nay had it not emasculated him. An end like his awaits you also, unless you forthwith shorten sail, and as Macenus was not willing to do until it was too late, hug the shore. This saying of Macenus's might have squared my account with you, but I feel sure, knowing you, that you will get out an injunction against me, and that you will be unwilling to accept payment of my debt in such crude and debased currency. However, that may be, I shall draw on the account of Epicurus. He says, You must reflect carefully beforehand with whom you are to eat and drink. Rather, than what you are to eat and drink. For a dinner of meats, without the company of a friend, is like the life of a lion or a wolf. This privilege will not be yours unless you withdraw from the world. Otherwise, you will have as guests only those whom your slave secretary sorts out from the throng of callers. It is, however, a mistake to select your friend in the reception hall or to test him at the dinner table. The most serious misfortune for a busy man who is overwhelmed by his possessions is that he believes men to be his friends, when he himself is not a friend to them, and that he deems his favors to be effective in winning friends. Although, in the case of certain men, the more they owe, the more they hate. A trifling debt makes a man your debtor. A large one makes him an enemy. What, you say? Do not kindnesses establish friendships? They do if one has had the privilege of choosing those who are to receive them, and if they are placed judiciously instead of being scattered broadcast. Therefore, while you are beginning to call your mind your own, meantime apply this maxim of the wise. Consider that it is more important who receives a thing than what it is he receives. Farewell. On Practicing What You Preach If you are in good health, and if you think yourself worthy of becoming at last your own master, I am glad for the credit will be mine, if I can drag you from the floods in which you are being buffeted without hope of emerging. This, however, my dear Lucilius, I ask and beg of you, on your part, that you let wisdom sink into your soul and test your progress, not by mere speech or writings, but by stoutness of heart and decrease of desire. Prove your words by your deeds. Far different is the purpose of those who are speech-making and trying to win the approbation of a throng of hearers. Far different than that of those who allure the ears of young men and idlers by many-sided or fluent argumentation. Philosophy teaches us to act, not to speak. It exacts of every man that he should live according to his own standards, that his life should not be out of harmony with his words, and that, further, his inner life should be of one hue, and not out of harmony with all his activities. This, I say, is the highest duty and the highest proof of wisdom, that deed and word should be in accord, that a man should be equal to himself under all conditions, and always the same. But you reply, who can maintain this standard? Very few, to be sure, but there are some. It is indeed a hard undertaking, and I do not say that the philosopher can always keep the same pace, but he can always travel the same path. Observe yourself, then, and see whether your dress and your house are inconsistent, whether you treat yourself lavishly and your family meanly, whether you eat frugal dinners and yet build luxurious houses. You should lay hold, once and for all, upon a single norm to live by, and should regulate your whole life, according to this norm. Some men restrict themselves at home, but strut with swelling port before the public. Such discordance is a fault, and it indicates a wavering mind which cannot yet keep its balance." and I can tell you further whence arise this unsteadiness and disagreement of action and purpose. It is because no man resolves upon what he wishes, and even if he has done so, he does not persist in it, but jumps the track. Not only does he change, but he returns and slips back to the conduct which he has abandoned and abjured. Therefore, to omit the ancient definitions of wisdom and to include the whole manner of human life, I can be satisfied with the following. What is wisdom? Always desiring the same things and always refusing the same things. You may be excused from adding a little proviso, that what you wish should be right, since no man can always be satisfied with the same thing, unless it is right. For this reason, men do not know what they wish, except at the actual moment of wishing. No man ever decided once and for all to desire or to refuse. Judgment varies from day to day and changes to the opposite, making many a man pass his life in a kind of game. Press on, therefore, as you have begun. Perhaps you will be led to perfection, or to a point which you alone understand is still short of perfection. But what, you say, will become of my crowded household without a household income? If you stop supporting that crowd, it will support itself." Or perhaps you will learn by the bounty of poverty what you cannot learn by your own bounty. Poverty will keep for you your true and tried friends. You will be rid of the men who were not seeking you for yourself, but for something which you have. Is it not true, however, that you should love poverty, if only for this single reason, that it will show you those by whom you are loved. Oh, when will that time come when no one shall tell lies to compliment you? Accordingly, let your thoughts, your efforts, your desires, help to make you content with your own self and with the goods that spring from yourself, and commit all your other prayers to God's keeping. What happiness could come closer home to you? Bring yourself down to humble conditions from which you cannot be ejected, and in order that you may do so with great alacrity, the contribution contained in this letter shall refer to that subject. I shall bestow it upon you forthwith. Although you may look askance, Epicurus will once again be glad to settle my indebtedness. Believe me, Your words will be more imposing if you sleep on a cot and wear rags. For in that case, you will not be merely saying them. You will be demonstrating their truth. I, at any rate, listen in a different spirit to the utterances of our friend Demetrius, after I have seen him reclining without even a cloak to cover him, and more than this, without rugs to lie upon. He is not only a teacher of the truth, but a witness to the truth. May not a man, however, despise wealth when it lies in his very pocket? Of course. He also is great-souled, who sees riches heaped up round him, and after wondering long and deeply, because they have come into his possession, smiles and hears rather than feels that they are his. It means much not to be spoiled by intimacy with riches, and he is truly great who is poor amidst riches. Yes, but I do not know, you say, how the man you speak of will endure poverty if he falls into it suddenly. Nor do I, Epicurus. I know whether the poor man you speak of will despise riches should he suddenly fall into them. Accordingly, in the case of both, it is the mind that must be appraised. And we must investigate whether your man is pleased with his poverty and whether my man is displeased with his riches. Otherwise, the cot-bed and the rags are slight proof of his good intentions. If it has not been made clear that the person concerned endures these trials, not from necessity, but from preference. It is the mark, however, of a noble spirit not to precipitate oneself into such things on the ground that they are better, but to practice for them on the ground that they are thus easy to endure and they are easy to endure, Lucilius, when, however, you come to them after long rehearsal, they are even pleasant, for they contain a sense of freedom from care, and without this nothing is pleasant. I hold it essential, therefore, to do as I have told you in a letter that great men have often done, to reserve a few days in which we may prepare ourselves for real poverty by means of fancied poverty. There is all the more reason for doing this, because we have been steeped in luxury and regard all duties as hard and onerous. Rather, let the soul be roused from its sleep, and be prodded, and let it be reminded that nature has prescribed very little for us. No man is born rich. Every man, when he first sees light, is commanded to be content with milk and rags. Such is our beginning, and yet kingdoms are all too small for us. Farewell. Good night.